Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Jennifer Chapman spent the first 16 years of her career as a sales professional in a variety of roles with several organizations where she thrived. After experiencing multiple life-changing events, she had to dig deep and learned how to accept and embrace a new version of herself. She felt the call to create Just Commit Coaching in 2021 after the impact her coach made in her life. Jennifer's passion lies in supporting an individual's whole self on all levels so that they can excel in every area of their life, starting with their why. She has completed a year-long certification through Institute of Coaching Mastery, and Jennifer is also passionate about supporting others through one-on-one coaching and team workshops, as well as speaking her message on embracing your inner warrior, overcoming a victim mentality. And she does this so beautifully. You were all in for a real treat with Jennifer today. Just me if there's something, if there's something there. Okay. So we're going to get started. Welcome to Drink Less, Live More. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am so happy you are here. I'm so happy we met each other. You know, I think through this coaching personal development space, I was watching you for a little while and I'm like, all right, I've got to meet this woman and just loved you immediately. So I would just love for you to share just a little bit of your story. I'm giving them a, you know, bio up front, but just share a little bit of your story and just tell me how your relationship with alcohol has changed, grown, evolved, whatever that looks like. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for having me. I love this because you were, I got to say, you were, you were one of the first people slash coaches, if you will, to reach out to me when I started to put out the fact that I had become a coach and I had started Just Commit Coaching. And so, yeah, I feel like our friendship has certainly evolved and blossomed over the last like three years uh, or so. But yeah, my, you know, when I graduated Ball State with a marketing degree, what seems like forever ago, my first job out out of school was selling booze. I was selling beer and wine. I, I partnered up with a, a beer distributor and was in that industry for 10 years. And so it was a big part of, let alone my life, pre, pre-work pre phase, you know, in college, all of that. But then it was professionally like what I did for a living. And so I was, it was surrounded by it. And it was all the, it was fun, right? It was, there wasn't, you didn't talk about how it made you feel the next day. You You sucked it up and did it again and all of that. And so- However, I can tell you, even starting in college for me, so 20 years ago, alcohol never liked me. I always had a headache. Alcohol would trigger a headache for me every single time. You know, but in your in my 20s and 30s, it was kind of like, okay, find a find a medicine, find take something, you know, to try and prevent it and then have something to take when I would develop a headache. And it worked for me for a very, for a long time, or I thought that it did. And so, you know, not only, you know, having a stroke six and a half years ago um, was kind of my body's wake up call to kind of really shift everything. So it's been a six and a half year journey of, of total exploration of, um, yeah, a new relationship with myself in all ways. 
Yeah. How have you found your relationship with alcohol changing as you have grown your relationship with yourself? And maybe even learn to trust yourself more because it doesn't sound like in your 20s when you were, you know, working at a beverage company, probably going out, having samples everywhere and going to tastings and all those things. Like you knew then that this wasn't working for you, but you weren't really trusting that you were still doing the same thing that was getting you the same crappy results, but you weren't willing to challenge that. What do you think shifted there? Um, valuing my body's response and knowing how much it's not worth it to feel this way anymore. Like that has, that has evolved that it's like putting myself truly first versus um, appeasing everybody else. Cause I was really good at that in, in every way I was looking for that external validation and um and the social aspect and all of that was like being surrounded, you know, surrounding myself with those people. Like that's just what we did. And no judgment. That's just, that's the way it was. And then my body has taught me so much. My biggest life lessons, I would say, because it always tells us we've just been really trained really well not to listen, right? Whether we eat something that our body doesn't like, it's going to tell us, but it's like, oh, well, that tasted really good, right? Like that, that pizza or that, what, you know, whatever's, you know, bread or whatever that is, or something sweet. It's like, everybody's going to tell us if it doesn't like it, whether it's a headache or a stomach ache or indigestion, whatever that is. And it's like, but it was so good. I'm just going to take something to mask the symptom, take the pain away, feel better the next day. And then I'm probably going to eat it again because it tasted really good. And it's like, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I've done it enough. Yeah, I think we have a long way to go when it comes to shifting our culture when it comes to alcohol. But, you know, we've come a long way when it comes to people that choose not to eat meat or dairy Mm. or gluten. You know, if they, you know, have a sensitivity to some of those things, maybe it just doesn't make them feel good. And that's reason enough to not do something. I think for whatever reason, our culture is hanging on to alcohol. I've seen I've seen you know, drastic shifts over the last three, four years. But I still think we're kind of holding on to that one thing that like we can't get past. Like it doesn't make us feel good. Our body's telling us the answer, yet we're still doing it. And I think you nailed it with sort of the people pleasing side of things. I also am a recovering people pleaser. I do find that the women that I work with that struggle the most with this change are those of us that tend to like to appease others. We like to go along to get along. We don't want to be the one person in the group not drinking because, oh, my gosh, they're going to think we're judgmental or we Mm -hmm. think we're better than they are. And that was a huge challenge for me to get through in order to be the only one in the room not drinking. And now I find that I'm rarely ever the only one in the room not drinking. It's it's oftentimes there's multiple people there not drinking or choosing not to drink for that night. Maybe they, you know, haven't taken a long term break, but they're choosing that night not to drink. Um, so yeah. that's been a fun, you know, cultural shift to to kind of see. Um, did the stroke have any impact on on that? I mean, I know that just kind of obviously <laughs> through your whole life, um, you know, out of whack. Like it was like, what just happened? Like it's almost like a death and rebirth um, of a new person, yeah. you know. And that's when you started kind of this journey because you had just kind of hit that that bottom. Um, 
is there, you know, was there any part of that outside of just the gross work that made you think, gosh, like, I just want to be as healthy and, you know, have as much well-being as I can possibly have to not have that happen again? More than I can put into work. Okay. Yeah. That's my stroke. Yeah. It has been, I get emotional. A huge gift for me. Like, huge. Um, I remember like two months after my stroke, I had just gotten out of acute rehab. I can barely navigate myself around the house, honestly, day to day. Ray was, you know, my husband was at work and I'm just so fatigued still. And my best girlfriends wanted to come over and bring food and support me, you know. And, and so they did one night and I was so looking forward to it. And they, we opened up a bottle of wine and it was my first time to have a sip, you know, after. And I literally had a couple of sips. And the next day, it was like I was hit by a Mack truck mm. because I was still so raw and fragile and weak that I literally thought that next day I was going to have another stroke. Yeah. Truthfully. And yeah. so I stopped, you know, I stopped, I didn't have another drink for a quite a while, knowing that I was very much still recovering physically. And then on the next, even couple years, I, I just didn't crave it as much, didn't didn't want it as much, knowing it was probably not going to make me feel well. So it was really, yeah, developing this new relationship with like, what what is my what do I really want right now? What do I? I am worth more than you know feeling this way. So yeah. that's yeah, that's well, a gift. Yeah. And what I love about your story is that you did it all. It's not like you just said, okay, so I had a stroke, so I'm going to focus on my physical health. I'm mm -hmm. going to exercise more. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm not going to drink alcohol. You focus so much on your mental health, which I think is so important and something that we all miss. I mean, for years, I thought because I did all those other things, you know, I got all the good sleep. I did it. Well, I thought I was getting good sleep. I did all those other things. I thought, well, I mean, if I like my one thing is wine, what's the big deal? You know, like I exercise, I do those other things, but that was not helpful for my mental health. It was creating mm. anxiety, lack of clarity, um, poor sleep quality, which I didn't know. I thought it was helping my sleep until right. I really started tracking it. Um, so I find that to be just interesting that you did the whole thing. Like you, you, you not just tackled like the physical health, but you really did. Like you were like, I'm going to solve this problem for good because it's so damn painful. I don't want to ever feel like this again. And for those of you listening that don't know Jennifer, I mean, she is the picture of health. When I first met her and she said she had a stroke at what, 35? Was it 35? 34. 34. I'm like, what? You know, I mean, that was just shocking to me. And, you know, being a nurse, that was just not something we really saw. You know, I mean, it certainly does happen, but not with people that look act are in the world like you are, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I could see how it could be your biggest challenge and your biggest gift that mm. experience. Yeah. And thank you for, for mentioning, because of course, when, you know, the, the work that I do now and, and going to speak, speak to different groups and things often, no one would ever know. I am physically blessed that I have no uh, physical deficits that that no one can see. You know, I know a lot of stroke survivors do, and I'm very thankful that I've worked very, I've worked very, very hard on the physical recovery piece. Lots of of therapy, you know, um, PT, OT, speech, all of it, because those were all affected. Yeah. My deficits, no, no one can see them. I have multiple 
deficits that no one can see. But And the biggest, um, yeah, I, I feel like works that I've done in all of this was was the mental recovery piece, the mental and emotional recovery. Because like you mentioned, I mean, a year after my stroke, I'm back in corporate sales thinking I was back to normal and yeah. uh, thought I could do it, be, be at the same level that I was um, pre-stroke. Far from, far from recovery, honestly. I was just kind of doing the day-to-day, but yet crying in my car every single day. Yeah. No one knows how often that I would break down and not know why and not know that I am, my, I am living with so much fear and anxiety of having another stroke because there was an unknown to that why for, for a long time. But I was like, okay, I was just aware enough. And I, I guess I want to point this out is like, I was aware enough that I, I did not want to stay like this anymore and that I was open-minded and willing. I had the will to want to feel and be better. And so many people are so scared to even take that first step and think that it's not possible that they stay where they are. And that's what I call, you know, in the victim mentality. And I, and, and I, I knew I wanted to feel better. And that's when I reached out to, to a coach to work on the mental and emotional part. And like you mentioned earlier, there, there, I didn't know until my work with her that there was, I was grieving. There's a grieving mm. process. Yeah. Yeah. So I love your work with victim mentality. So I'm glad you brought that up. There was such a long time that I actually didn't think I had a choice whether I drank or not. Mm. I truly thought I was mm. a victim to alcohol for a decade, I thought, this is really not serving me. And I didn't do anything about it for 10 years, you know? And it was mm-hmm. like, and I was never rock bottom. There was never any like major thing. I wasn't putting my life in danger, none of that. But I still knew that. But I truly felt like I was a victim to it. I didn't think I had a choice in drinking or not drinking. So tell me just how you would even coach somebody through that with your victim mentality work and that talk that you do around victim mentality. Um, how to get somebody out of that. You know, I know what I did, but how would you coach someone through that that feels like they truly just don't have a choice? I thought I was culturally stuck. I thought I was socially stuck. I thought I was stuck inside of my marriage. If I didn't drink, what would that do to our marriage? It is perfectly fine. In fact, my marriage is much better than it was when I was drinking. So there were just a lot of things I had to just challenge and find out for myself what was really true for me um, because I had hit such a just like personal rock bottom of like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Similar to you where I'm like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too miserable. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think drinking is, it's what are we avoiding? Mm. What, are, what are we, what are we numbing? Yeah. What do we think is actually going to go away if we have, have a few drinks? Like it's not going to show back up tomorrow. I mean, Right. And it's probably going to show up now even louder because now it hurt more right. than if we, and again, no judgment. I've done it. I've been, you know, I've been in the industry. I've done, I've done it. So I've done it so many times, um, you know, before six years ago, that's what I, you know, and over these last three years surrounding my, you know, being around, um, women in certain communities or networks where, you know, they're talking about their relationship with alcohol. Maybe they're not aware yet of why they're really doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and, and so when I speak on that and what I know to be true when it comes to victim mentality and that self-awareness is, is first and foremost, always and forever. And some people are self-aware and some aren't. 
and where people get uncomfortable when I talk about victim mentality, because I talk about what it looks like and feels like and sounds like is where it comes from. And I can guarantee you it comes from something that you have not healed from, dealt with, or resolved in your past that is playing out in your present moment, whether you are aware of it or not. And until you face that, you're going to stay stuck exactly where you are. Yes. Oh my gosh. Preach, sister. I, <laughs> I hear you. There was a yeah. lot of healing I had to do of that little eight-year-old girl inside yeah that had so much to say, so many, you know, things to do. And she felt shushed. And that's not blaming anyone. Yeah. Um, blaming my parents, any of that. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I do feel like that little eight-year-old girl just wasn't seen and heard. Yeah. And that was an easy way to escape those feelings when I would experience that again. So like my drinking started to kind of Enhance as I had children and as my job got a little more, you know, more responsibilities. And it was like I moved into an executive role and it's like, oh, God, the pressure's on now. Now they have said, hey, we want to see and hear from you. And now I'm freaked mm. out because now like I have I have this space to be able to do that. And now it's like, what do I do? So it was like, yeah, I would come home and escape just all of the pressure. It was so much pressure. So it's almost like that little girl got her opportunity and I felt like I was failing. I finally got that opportunity mm -hmm. and I wasn't fully embracing it. And that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. So yeah. And honestly, I don't think I've ever articulated it that way, but mm -hmm. I do agree with you that there is something that still needs to be healed. I also hadn't dealt with the grief of losing my daughter to a stillbirth. I had not fully dealt mm -hmm. with that. So I had to circle back to that. Like there were so many things that I had to kind of circle back to and just allow to feel. Right. And that's what I was running from was the negative emotions. I didn't want to feel any of that because I was I like most of us in our generation were raised just to be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Turn yeah. that, you know, frown upside down. That was sort of the messaging we got around emotions. So that's what I did. And that only works for so long because we experience, you know, just this total spectrum of emotions every single day. Oh, yeah. And like you said, we're not taught on really how to how to work through the emotions, which I feel like I've heard on a couple of podcasts recently, people talking about emotions, which is energy and motion. Mm, so it's like, yeah. if we just allow that, all of it, the uncomfortable, the painful, all of that, it doesn't take long for an emotion to, to move through your body if you give it that space. Yeah, we've just been hardwired and trained especially in our, you know, as adults in our 30s, 40s, 50s, bury that shit. Yep. Resist it, fight it, push it down, don't show it. That does more damage to our bodies than to actually express it. It's yeah. doing, our body's keeping tabs on all of that. It's going to tell you, if you, whether you're ready or not, at a certain point, it's time to listen now. You, yeah. It's time to listen. And that's where I think a lot of chronic illness conditions come from is actually like stuck emotional stuff yeah yeah well I tell this story a fair amount on the podcast just being a nurse and having women come in and say they're having pain like I'm having abdominal pain something's wrong we would put a scope in their bellies and say nothing's wrong with you everything looks normal you don't have endometriosis go home and I just always felt like that was such a disservice to mm. people because something was going on who on earth would make up pain that they're experiencing and go under anesthesia and have knives poked in their bellies 
if that wasn't real to them. And so we would send them out the door and that was the end of it. And I'm like, whoa, we are not serving patients like we could because something is going on for these women. And I was seeing it a lot more with women than I was with, or than I did with men. So the chronic pain that was coming up, I saw more of that with women than I did with men. Um, and I, ost- I, I would often say it's a disease of the unfulfillment that they're experiencing. Mm. And you would talk to these women and you could tell they were unfulfilled. And I'm like, shit, you know, like what the work? What are we doing here? You know, so anyway, I'll get off that soapbox because I feel like I talk about this one all the time. It's not because I think what we do in healthcare is wrong or it shouldn't be the way it is. I just think we're just barely touching the surface with how we could be serving and helping patients from a mental health, whatever you want to call it, standpoint. I totally agree. And I feel like that could be a whole separate conversation. How <laughs> it is going For down sure. that, that rabbit hole because just like anything, what do we, we're masking. We're masking yeah. a symptom. Yeah. Just like we're masking when we, if, if we drink or, or overeat or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Overwork or whatever. What are we yeah. fighting? <laughs> and, and, and just like you mentioned a little bit earlier, it's like so many people, especially when I bring up victim mentality and where it comes from, it's like, you got to feel to heal. Yeah. You're not going to over outthink your way through this life. If anything, the thinking is what's gotten you into trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Our yeah. own minds have potentially got us into a, a lot of trouble. And so it's being able to invite more people to just, you know, pause, take a moment, feel what's going on. When you have a thought, what is that emotion feeling that comes with it? What is your body saying when that, when that happens? And it's amazing when I ask whether it's clients or just in conversation, like where, where do you feel that right now? And they're able to, you know, identify that. And it's like, okay, be with it for a second. Just give it space. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard most emotions only hold on for about 90 seconds outside of shame. Shame is a deeper one that can definitely get more of a grip on us. And with alcohol use, that tends to be one that a lot of women experience. But when I think of anger, I think of, you know, sadness, grief, melancholy, like most of those don't like, they're not intense for a long time with my anger. I do have to verbalize what I was angry about. And so I've learned to do that. I didn't know what that was 10 years ago. Now I know why I'm angry and it might be the silliest thing in the world to the other person on the other end of it, but I'm willing to share that. And I have people that will receive that and say, oh yeah, like, I understand that, you know, when I'm not in a space where I'm going to like rip their heads off, you know, it's like I've calmed myself down. The emotion has had its 90 seconds to kind of move through. Okay, now I'm going to tell you why I was angry and why that made me so mad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And most of the time it's just my own shit, but I still need to verbalize that in order for it to fully move through my body and be gone. And then I feel like I truly feel lighter, like my body feels physically lighter. Um, and that's been something the first time I read that I was like, bullshit, you know, I'm like, thank you, seconds, no way, you know, and I'm like, no, like I really Move. put that into practice. It, it really does work. Doesn't mean yeah. you ignore it for 90 seconds and then just think it's going to go away. You still have to address it, but it will at least you'll be able to get into a, a mindset that you can uh, articulate what's going on. Yeah. And I think anger. Is it ever is it ever anger? Or what is that anger really masking? What's the <laughs> deeper feeling under yeah. anger? Because more times than yeah. not, it's pain. 
Grief. Sadness, honestly. Disapp- disappointment. Disappointment. Yep. Yeah. Unmet expectations. That. It's so much deeper than that. It is. Yeah. But anger is just an easy way to show it. Um, show it. Yeah. 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 I've learned that. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your work with the why. So I've had a few guests on that have talked about just finding your why. When I work with women individually and in groups, that's something I you know, we'll ask them up front, what is the reason why you want to change your relationship with alcohol? What's the why? And they'll usually start with, well, I want to be healthier, or I don't want my kids to see me drinking, or uh, I have a dad that's an alcoholic, and I'm kind of scared about what's happening with me, and I keep drinking more and more, and will I end up in that space? And I'm like, okay, but why? Like, why do you really care about that? And so we're just like constantly peeling back layers as to their own why. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you feel like the work that you do? You know, I took the assessment that comes with the work that you do and I really enjoyed it so much of it was spot on my why happens to be challenged. And I'm always looking at ways to sort of challenge the status quo, think outside of the box. I typically am an early adopter with things. I do think I've been an early adopter with the alcohol reduction and just taking that break and doing that work. Um, I've found more people come on, have come on board the last three years or so. Um, but tell me just about some of the other whys that might show up for people, because actually that is a big why for me. Like I'm big on challenging the culture and I started learning about alcohol and how our culture has embraced this total myth. that It's not, like, it's not even working well for us and we all just buy into it and keep doing it. Once I learned those things, I was like, oh, well, now I got to challenge this. Like, I got to see, I got to see it for myself. Um, what are some of the other whys that people have from your perspective? Obviously, you know, that's not their deeper why for why they would maybe want to change their re- relationship with alcohol, but it's certainly related. Mine certainly was related to, to that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I became why certified um, probably just four, three or four months ago. And Again, it's a it's personal to me because what I loved so much when I was in corporate sales in like 2015, 2016, our sales leader would go around the table to our team every few months and say, do you know why you get out of bed? What's the reason you get out of bed every day? And I would watch everybody give their answers, kids or no kids. Some people would say they're kids, you know, and as someone who made the choice to never have kids, I also thought, I hope people's, they have a bigger reason to get out of bed than just their kids, you know? And I, I love my husband, but he's not why I get out of bed. What is yeah. my why? And I didn't know it. I couldn't, I couldn't articulate it aside from a part of me that there was this ex- external extrinsic motivation, right? I, well, I want to make as much money as I can. I want to be the best person on my team. I want to be the best in my region. Yeah. What do you mean? Why else would I get out of bed? Yikes. So I just had not yet um, awakened to my bigger why. And so, so these last six and a half years certainly have done the work to go to my deepest why, but yet, and also to find this, the Why Institute was created years ago by a guy who was a dentist by background and was thriving up to a certain point. And then in like 08, 09, he had, you know, business had plummeted and he, he realized he's like, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing anymore. I have no mm-hmm. idea. And that showed out everywhere, right? To his business, to his people, to all of it. He knew a friend who knew Simon Sinek. And so he himself worked with Simon for eight months or so to really get a grasp on awakening to why he does what he does. Long story short, he created the Why Institute 
developed these questions, has done hundreds of thousands of these discoveries with people all over the world. And he's been able to identify nine ones. You're, with regards to this discovery, it's all about your internal motivation. So it's not certainly your deepest why, but it's it is what you do, especially in relationship with others when you're making decisions, whether it's with your spouse or, or coworkers or boss or whoever that is. So to be able to put words in language now to not only why you do what you do and also to understand why others do what they do, I believe it's one of the, the best self-awareness tools out there. And also um, it's, the, it's, it's kind of abiding by the platinum rule, right? Treat others how they want to treat it. So if someone didn't know you, Rachel, and, and not know your why, of, of you believing success happens when you think outside of the box and challenge the status quo, they may just see you as being challenging or difficult or hard to work with because you're always going to disagree. Whatever that story is, whatever you've heard, to now be able to know, okay, this isn't personal at all about Rachel. This is just, I'm just going to know now that if I bring her an idea or a project with this framework, she may see a different way to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That takes down the communication barriers that might have been up for. So, for example, my why by doing this discovery is to contribute. It's to contribute to the success of others. It's to make an impact. It's to make a difference. That landed for me wholeheartedly. Of course, you know, by knowing, and it's not just by doing something for someone else, but that that it really is, um, you know, contributing to something bigger than myself. And so, there's nine whys. Um, and it's been really cool to not only do individual why discoveries with folks, but for teams to really understand, like, how can we be a better team here? Now we have words and language to understand how we, how and why we can communicate with, with who we work with. And are, and are all the, are these people in the right seat? Maybe someone that's a CEO, their why. So I guess to back up, there's nine. So for example, one is, one why is the right way. You believe success happens when things are done the right way black and white it's done this way because it's always been done this way there's data process procedure structure great you want someone with the why of right way on your team but as a ceo that could be a little bit tough because they're going to be black and white where a lot of people play in the gray or they're going to see different ways to do it better ways to do it right like i play in the gray i my husband though is a right way guy Mm-hmm. which has been fascinating and yeah. it, it, it really brought some understanding there and also there that's why there's i can see some conflicts that we've had because he struggles to see things any other way but one way yeah so well, you know what's yeah <laughs> what's funny when i read challenge and i kind of read the things about it because at first i was like i don't know i don't externally come off that way i think i've socially been conditioned that like we as women just don't do that. But I am very challenged. Like that fits to a T for what I do internally. So like my own internal narrative with myself, like there's there's always got to be a better way. Like, you know, we got to try some different things and we got to think outside of the box. And so I really have applied that why to me and my own internal work, um, which is where I see the most momentum with that particular why so like my biggest fear is that I would leave potential that I have untapped (laughs) Mm. and so 
if I don't do that work, how would I possibly know if that potential is untapped? It's also why I wanted to take a year long break. Well, I didn't start off as wanting a year long break, but I, you know, why I wanted to take a break from alcohol was because I felt like it was getting in the way of my potential. Mm. So is that in alignment with that particular challenge type or even my how and what? Because I know there's, you know, a lot to this thing. We can't get into all of the details. Um, but that all felt very relatable to me with any sort of personal development that I've decided to tackle. You know, at first I decided to tackle the perfectionism I was experiencing, then the people pleasing, then, you know, boundary setting. Like it was like I just kind of like had these challenges and I was just knocking them off one by one. And I knew alcohol was the biggest one I was going to do to date. And so it was like, okay, I just knew I was going to do it eventually, but it's like, that's on, but like, that's on the list. I got to do this other stuff up front, which I'm grateful I did because I actually think that was really helpful in my success, you know, with that whole journey. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Do people often get to that where they go more internal and say, gosh, well, like this is my biggest fear and this is why I'm motivated to be this way. I think, yeah, I think that um, the, uh, these why, these why, your why is your superpower. So I think it's an opportunity to wake up to that versus maybe seeing what you've been taught socially before with challenge being not your superpower, like something that's holding you back or whatever. Yeah. That is. I tried it as a kid, but I was like shut down real fast. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's fascinating. And, and what I know to, to be true with regards to just my own coaching that I that I've been through is these blocks that we think are in our way are actually they are the way so I think for you being able to say okay alcohol's not holding me back what this is the way what so now let me find a different way to shape this relationship you have with alcohol and how can I then support others with this relationship it's not going to hold us back um yeah, how can we use this to to our advantage now? Oh, yeah. What are we all the learning lessons that that we've gotten from it? Not beating ourselves up for it, right? Not judging yeah. ourselves for it or criticizing ourselves for it. Really, just waking up to, uh, yeah, tapping into your superpowers and and your worth and you what you deserve and. It's just so yes, yeah. which is so interesting. I think you're right. Like the barrier we think is in our way is actually the way. So like when we think of like what we deserve, so many women come to me and say, here's all the things I got going on. I mean, they're stressed to the max. They got a lot on their plates. And they're like, I deserve a glass of wine at the end of the night. That's what I think I deserve. And we shift that mindset. Like when we can get them to that place. And when I got to the place of like, the, that's the opposite of what I deserve. Yeah. Right. And so like what I deserve is to have mental clarity. I deserve to have good sleep. I deserve to have patience with my kids. I deserve to be able to tap into that full potential because I can hear what my soul has been screaming at me, but I've been quieting it with alcohol. Mm. So I think there's, I think there's so, so much there. You know, I think we've been sold that like, alcohol is a treat and so shifting that mindset of like even when they come to me and they're like oh I have to quit drinking it's gonna be so horrible and miserable I'm like okay like we gotta work on that first because you get to quit drinking this is yeah. a huge gift for you 
And we're going to get you to that place where you actually believe that. Like they have to believe that. I can tell them that all day. I didn't believe it at first either. Right. I had to prove it to myself. And so I think there's a lot there of, wow, like, yeah, it's like the opposite is true of these things that we believe for so long. And, you know, I tell clients to be patient with themselves there, too. It took me a long time to get there. And I do this professionally. Right. Right. It took me a long time to rewire my brain to believe something different from what I believed my whole life. Yeah. And to your point, like the work doesn't stop. It's never going to stop. You have to continue to do the work. You never arrive. No. I've never. The best work we're going to do is on ourselves, period. I mean, what this is this is such an opportunity now, I feel like with especially with the women we we have conversations with and what I, I hear all the time and share and say is like, it's time to wake up to yourself and put yourself first in a non-selfish way. It's it's building it all starts with self mastery of self yeah once you you start to put put in that work that's going to affect every other relationship and aspect of your life you will ever have yeah so it's like great example and maybe we end on this it's like what do you what are you putting in your soul cup what is in your cup like i i I led i led a group discussion with that with that question recently i'm like what what's in your cup today is it is it does it taste good is it too hot is it too cold is it been sitting out too long does it have a bad taste if that poured out would you refill it with that exact same thing because it tasted good or maybe you would refill it with something different because whatever's in your soul cup that was going to be poured out onto everybody else yeah so what an opportunity to fill yourself up with something better and more nourishing that just doesn't have alcohol in it yeah that's exactly yeah I think that's so interesting because when my cup was full of wine I don't feel like my soul had a voice Mm. isn't that interesting yeah yeah so when we think of like figuratively filling up a a cup I think we also have to take it a step further and say how does what you're putting in that cup make you feel how does it yeah. Have you present to the world? Are you in alignment with your values? I was not. So, you know, it's like, wow, that's why I feel so crappy. It's not just because of the physical effects of the alcohol. I'm not in alignment with myself. So why on earth wouldn't I feel like shit? Right. I mean, alcohol, I mean, the, the having one alcoholic drink, you are no longer your authentic self. Yes. Agreed. And it's not because I'm saying I don't still have a a drink here and there. I'm okay with not always sure. being my authentic self. That's okay. You know, like that's, that's all right. I mean, not authentic, but maybe like, yeah, you know, it's like, okay. Like, I just feel like I kind of like shut off the whole narrative. It can be exhausting to do this personal development work and to be constantly developing. Sometimes we do need to just kind of chill. There are other ways yeah. to do that than alcohol, you know? So yeah. it's like, I've found exercise, walking, you know, there's all sorts of ways to do that. I find so many people just get busier. That is their strategy. So maybe they don't go to the wine bottle, but they just yeah. get busier and they add that to their plates. And then when they finally slow down or they're forced to slow down, which is kind of what I heard you talk about, you didn't have a choice in the matter. Right. And suddenly, oh my gosh, now I'm not this top sales leader and this achiever and 
all of those things, what am I? Yeah. Powerful question. And, and knowing, knowing the why behind that. Yeah. The most powerful question my coach ever asked me in our first session of I'm sitting there crying uncontrollably and feeling like a complete hot mess. But she's like, you need to ask yourself, why, why not you? Why not me? Versus why me? Mm. Like, yeah, okay, I hear you. <laughs> that lands. I'm not going to fight you on that right now. But I was in it, right? right. I was so in it that I wasn't ready to accept that. But through not only time, but continuously doing the work, that epiphany happened for me in the aha moment and that powerful learning lesson of like, now I know my why this happened for me. Not to me. This happened for me. Everything does. Oh, I think that's such a great point too, because I think when we're in it, like even when it comes to people taking a break for, you know, a month or six months from alcohol. When they're in that, because it's new, like this is all new. Yeah. If you've been drinking most of your adult life, it can really like you can't fully understand the lessons until you kind of get on the other side of it. And then you're like, oh, I get it now. My coach said to me when I was like sobbing and I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I, I can't be a mom. And this, and I like I was just miserable seven years ago, which similar to you is why I reached out to her. I felt so miserable. And I remember she said to me, because I was just like, well, so-and-so, like I was knee-deep in victim mentality. So-and-so doesn't care about me, you know. And she said, Rachel, you're not that important. People don't think about you all the time. They're not out to get you. You are not that important. And I remember just being like taken aback by that at first. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I totally get what she was doing there. Like I was so serious about myself and I was like placing blame on other people. And I was not owning the fact that I was responsible for my own misery. <laughs> that's, and sometimes that's, I think in your, in your uh, LinkedIn post recently, it, you, it was, it's like, cause that's going to feel hard. Yeah. Cause now I got to do something about that. Blaming other people and staying in the victim mentality. Well, I don't, I can't do anything about that. Cause I don't, I can't do the work because it's their fault. It's not my fault. And that felt easier to do. Yeah. So what was that going to lead to long term? That's right. Long-term. And it didn't. Yeah, it didn't work. I'd done that my whole life. So, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't working anymore. So it's like, OK, I got to try a different way. And I would have not in the first year said that I was the one that was creating my own misery. I would have not said that. But right. seven, you know, six, seven years later. Yep. That was absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. It's like well, it's it's ultimate opportunity to like. We're, sometimes we're so scared to look in the mirror. Yeah. That's, that's the only, that is the only person that is going to have all the answers. Yeah. Everything you could ever want is by not only looking in the mirror, and I, and I say this, but like seeing yourself in the mirror. Yeah. And even looking at who you're seeing on the other side with some self-compassion. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Which is hard at first. It's but it hard. But it stay hard. No. It gets really easy, actually, because it's so yeah. much it's so much cozier. I really love yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And it works. So then you start to get those results and you're like, OK, this this makes total sense. 
But yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying there are people that have circumstances, certainly that there are other people to blame. There's no doubt about that. But that just leaves us in a space of feeling so out of control because we mm. don't have control over those other people. We don't have control okay. over somebody apologizing to us or treating us differently. But we certainly do have control over our own actions and how we sure. respond to things. I have control over if I chose to drink a bottle of wine every night or not. I had control over that. Absolutely. And I'm right. speaking as a gray area drinker. So I want to make sure I say that because I've never identified as an alcoholic. I don't think I was addicted to alcohol. I, I think if you do anything often enough, you're probably going to want it, um, especially something that screws with you chemically. Um, so I'm not saying that somebody that would identify with a substance use disorder has control over that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think in my scenario, speaking from my own personal experience, I think I did have control over that. Yeah, that's powerful. And that's just the, the invitation for anyone that, that hears this, you know, it's just yeah. being open to explore what what what's possible and and that you deserve a better version of you than maybe you think you have right now and that you have the power and control to to create that yeah and make that happen yeah so good well so thank good. you for joining me as always you know i love you i love the work you do i'm so glad you're in this world um because we need so much more of it for sure thank you so much i'm so grateful for you and and i love our friendship so thank you don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you.